What's up, sober family? Welcome to I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, the podcast for newly sober people learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And there's no one that will love you enough for you to love yourself. You know, I had people in my life that adored me and their love never compensated the hate I had for me. So that's something that needs to come from you. Today, my guest is Caroline Blanchard, a lifelong resident of Montreal who's a mother of three, a best-selling author, and the editor of a new book called That Party Is Over, in which 12 people, including yours truly, contributed chapters to narrate our sober stories. Caroline has been sober for nearly a decade, but she has a lot of great wisdom to share with those of us who are new to living without alcohol. I'm your host, Dana Kroll. I'm a former Army chaplain who developed a toxic relationship with alcohol after leaving the military. I stayed on a roller coaster of rock bottoms, recoveries, and relapses until finally, in the winter of 2022, I found my way out of the cycle by connecting with people like you. After kissing alcohol goodbye, my goal is to never go back, but I can't do it alone, so let's break up with booze together. With me in the studio is always our Al K. Hallfree, my spirit animal for sobriety, and Spruce, my PTSD service dog. And before we get rolling, I just want to quickly say that if you're new to sobriety and looking for a group of people to be your sober community, please come join the I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye Sober Family Facebook group. The link is in the show notes, or you can search Facebook groups for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. And now let's get rolling with Caroline. So tell me about, do you mind sharing what it was that led you to sobriety? And, you know, because I'm I'm fascinated to hear that just as someone who's just getting to know you. And I would love to share that story with, with the listeners, if you'd be willing. Of course. Uh, it took me a while to be okay with sharing my story because um, there was such bad, bad stigma attached to, you know, being an alcoholic or having addictions. Uh, for me, it was always a stigma of weakness and of not being able to control yourself. Um, so Writing my story in the book, I had to think, when is the first time that I really drank? And I was actually 11 and I uh, didn't do it halfway. I got drunk. <laughs> you know, it was my aunt's wedding and everyone was drinking wine at the table. My mom was sitting at the um, the, the bridal's table. So I was alone with my siblings and they thought it was so funny to give me more wine, more wine. So I was done <laughs> and then when we got home my mom put me in a hot bath because she thought I was sick worst thing ever that you can do <laughs> you know being drunk on wine and then a hot bath it was not a good idea but I remember um you know the feeling of liking what I was not feeling I was liking the numbness I was liking that I could just you know, laugh out loud and not care what people were thinking about me because I was very self-conscious. You know, there was trauma in my childhood. I was abused when I was five. So I've learned very young to um, try to be invisible. And I learned very young to not like myself and criticize everything about myself. Mm -hmm. So I remember that night when I drank, these feelings were not there. It was just cool. So um, I got addicted to that very fast, to the not feeling part, the numbness. And clearly at 11, it's not like you can do that every day and just get away with it. So um, I found a good friend (laughs) that would help me, you know, and we started drinking in parks and stuff like that. And um, and I guess when you're that age, like drinking once a week is, you know, you can deal with that. Um, And then 
like I say, I always found the good friends. I was always the party girl. I was always the one to close every single party or events that I would go at. But I was never the drunk, annoying girl. Well, I won't <laughs> interview everyone that <laughs> studied with me because I'm sure that some will say different. But what I mean is that um, it didn't. I didn't look drunk. I, I wasn't the person who was slurring or whatever. I could really manage alcohol very well. And um, so then, you know, I kept on on growing up and school, university, started a career. Everything was going well. And I was always able to manage my drinking. And it was never getting in the way of anything. So I never missed deadlines. I never lost a job. I you know, I ended up working in corporate, had a really big position, um, tons of responsibility. I had three kids, three dogs, a house, everything. And everyone thought I was a superwoman. But really what I was doing is that at five, when I would get home, the bottle of wine was opening. And then I was just like having my first drink. And I was like, okay, guys, now you can talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Then, you know, it was my first breath that I could take in the day that I felt good. And I associated that with, you know, stress, anxiety of work, not to necessarily the addiction. Um, and then I would just cook, you know, the family supper and all of that. And I would work after supper. So I guess I was drinking a bottle, a bottle and a half every night. But it was over a period of time. And because I was doing it and, and doing all the chores that I had to do and then my work and you know, sometimes I would work until two in the morning, I would send emails, I would get up the next day, have no clue what I did, I would go back in my inbox and read what I sent. And I was just like, Oh, that was pretty smart. You know, how did I think of that? I could not recall what I did. But um, that kept me being able to continue my rat race, because it was my life was really like a rat race. Uh, you know, I was involved in everything with my kids. Like my son was in hockey. I was the manager of his team. My daughter was in soccer. I was the manager of her team. Uh, I was volunteering at school in my big position. So, um, you know, when you do too much, it's because you do too much. Like when people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know how you can do all of this. Well, usually, <laughs> you know, you, you can't run on that kind of steam naturally forever. Um so yeah, one day I uh, my dad passed, and a few months after, it was two days before his birthday, and I never really had a relationship with my dad. So it was about two, no, four months after his passing, about two days before his birthday, I realized that I would have no one to call. Like there was not even the possibility anymore to have a relationship with a dad because he was really gone. And it really killed my energy that day. So I just left work. And uh, for some reason, it wasn't planned. It was a Monday afternoon. I left at noon and I stopped at the liquor store to pick up vodka. Why? I'm not sure. Like it wasn't, I, I didn't have a logical thought and a logical plan. I just did it. And then the, the, the doctor had started prescribing me um, sleeping pills because I wasn't sleeping anymore. Um, and I didn't do my research properly on the sleeping pills. I did it afterwards. They were actually very addictive and it's sleeping pills that you're not supposed to take for more than two or three weeks. And I Mm -hmm. took them for a year. Mm -hmm. So I was now at three sleeping pills a night for them to have an effect. 
Um, so sometimes like at night I could take one and it would just calm me down. It wouldn't even put me to sleep anymore. Um, so anyway, I stopped at the pharmacy as well. And I told them that I had lost my prescription. So they refilled a full two months for me. And I came home and I just thought, I'll take one pill. I'm just going to, you know, that night I didn't have to pick up the kids. And, you know, my, my schedule was clear. And I was just like thinking, my anxiety is going to go down and I will feel better. And I remember pouring a glass of vodka and orange juice and having a pill. And then I dropped my bottles of pills. And at some point I was counting them and everything started being a blur. Um, long story short, my husband came home with the kids um, at the end of the afternoon. And um, I had taken the bottle of vodka and the bottle of pills. So I was in major overdose. Um, and when I saw that my kids were in the house and, and safe, uh, then I lost consciousness. So they brought me to the hospital and um, they told me I was lucky that I made it. Wow. And what was sad is that a lot of people thought it was a suicide attempt and it was not. And I know that it's extremely difficult to understand for someone who doesn't know what addiction is or someone who doesn't know what being intoxicated is. Um, it's hard to understand. Well, people tell me like, well, you knew you were taking it you know no one forced you to take them but like after one or two pills and one or two glasses your judgment is gone your logic is gone uh i remember at some point thinking did i take one or did i not take one i should take one you know i was like you're so confused and my only goal in there is that i wanted to stop feeling for an afternoon i just wanted the pain to go away so I was lucky enough, still alive. And um, that was my wake up call. Wow. And yeah. how long ago was that? That was in 2012. Okay. So 10 years ago. Um, okay. And I had, actually, I had called rehab a few months before because I knew I was having a drinking problem. Like I knew something and I wasn't putting it, I, I wasn't putting those words on it. But I could feel that everything was becoming unmanageable. I could feel that I was so tired. I was exhausted. I just couldn't keep going. And uh, I was telling my husband at night, like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I have a drinking problem. I would tell close friends and everyone would tell me, no, you're fine. You're fine. You don't have a drinking problem. Like you're managing everything really well. You're just tired. Just control yourself a bit. But there was that tug for quite a few months inside of me. And the only thing that I knew was AA. And I was not going to put that on my resume. I was just like, I am not going to AA. I, I don't have the problems that they have. You know, I didn't see myself as, as them because I still had a good life. But inside, the pain was the same. And my life was completely unmanageable inside. I would make it work on the outside, but that's different. And uh, so anyway, uh, when I called the rehab center, the lady interviewed me because they have to triage you, deciding who's going to have the priority. And because I called her when I was sober and I was very logical and I was telling her the story exactly like I'm telling you now, 
Yeah. You know, I was telling her, oh, there's nights that I'm done. I just want to end it. I can't keep on going and blah, blah. So they triaged me as like, I wasn't a threat to myself. And uh, I wasn't in urgent need because I guess I could uh, explain it properly, but it didn't change what I felt inside. So um, when the, the overdose happened, I called again and they pushed me up on the waiting list. I became a bit more of a priority and it took another three months be before I got my spot. Mm. So they basically told me, uh, don't stop drinking keep drinking until you come to rehab and that's a bit what I did. Wow. So they, so you, so you, did you drink then for the next three months until you went? No, I did. I did okay. because, uh, well, first of all, like I, I did stop two, three days here, two, three days there because I was like thinking if I can make it on my own, I don't have to do this rehab thing. Yeah. Um, and honestly doing it a day or two can be hard in a way because, Physically, you're like, oh, my gosh, I want some. But your commitment is still very strong. So you're like, no, I got this. But then after two, three days, any kind of anything will happen. And you're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. yeah, Just one drink. You know, or I was able to do it two days. So I'm good. I don't have yeah. a problem. Yeah. You know, there's trying to control and moderate is so difficult, I find. So for me, it clearly had to be black and white. I tried moderation for years, you know, like, uh, I had phases of like, I'm not going to drink during the week, I'm going to drink Friday, Saturday. And then there's something that happens one week, and you're like, okay, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, this week right. is fine. Yeah. And then something else happened, and you have mimosa on, on the Sunday morning, you're like, well, that's not too bad. It was still the weekend. And then yeah. at the end of the, at the end of the day, your weekends are like six days long. Yeah. Because you decided to to define them differently. <laughs> so you're yeah. like, yeah, so moderation for me didn't work. Rehab did. Uh, I did six weeks of uh, external rehab because I didn't want to leave my kids. So I would go from nine to three when they were in school. And um, that was a game changer for me. Okay. And what um, what has helped you since then to stay without drinking after in after those six weeks because that's been a, about a decade like wow yeah well uh i have to say after the six week i six weeks i had two months of like having to go two afternoons a week uh but after all of that was done i was still i was dry as i was not drinking or using anything i wasn't taking sleeping pills anymore all of this but i wasn't sober emotionally and mentally because I had done I went there I did the work I'm a determined person so I had my certificate of like yeah you know past rehab I can move on to the next step but it was almost like I had a bad cold and I nursed it and it was done so now get back to normal life and just you know live and it was a bit that in my entourage as well you know, the first month people were like, oh, good job. And then after they forget and they're like, well, you're good now. You know, mm -hmm. you're cured. And um, so I didn't do as much work as I should have. And I was isolating myself a lot. 
I was not going to events anymore. Um, when I was going to events or doing stuff socially, I would always find excuses to say when I was not drinking. So I would say, oh, I'm training, uh, I'm sick, I'm on antibiotics. Mm -hmm. If they wanted to think I was pregnant, whatever, think it. But I was never just saying I've quit drinking. And yeah. around me, it wasn't super welcomed either because I didn't stand on my own two feet and um, declared it. Mm. I've also let people around me saying, you know, why are you making such a big deal out of that? You don't have a problem. It's all, it was almost like an attention seeking um, gig that I was doing. Okay. So I'm saying all of this to say that for 16 months I was doing that. And I did um, registered to take part to a triathlon in Hawaii and I was a bit of a couch potato. So training 20 hours a week, that was, <laughs> that really kept me on, on par for, you know, we did that for uh, 20 weeks. But after all of that was done, it was hard because I didn't have anything. I didn't have a goal to look forward to anymore. I wasn't yeah. training with a group anymore, 20 hours a week. So my internal strength started like weakening. And one time I went to, one day I went out for uh for supper with someone I hadn't seen in 20 years. And he was just like, well, have a glass of wine. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm not feeling great tonight. And blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, as if it ever stopped you, <laughs> you know? And I was just like, then I thought to myself, I stopped for 16 months. I got this. I'm strong. I can do this. Like I've done it. So I can have some tonight and I'll just stop again after. And, um, I ordered wine and I had two glasses of wine and I realized when I drank those two glasses, first of all, I wasn't paying attention to the conversation anymore. Everything was living in my glass of wine and I was loving it so much. Um, you know, when my second glass was almost done and the bottle was almost done, I started feeling the anxiety of like, oh my gosh, that's going to be it. What am I going to do? So I wasn't really present in the moment anymore. I was just focusing on how am I going to get through it? I stopped at two glasses, but I did beat myself up for a few days after. And I thought it was such a stupid reason, you know, to have to start back counting at zero. Because especially when you're in your first year, you count the days. And, you know, I had just like scrapped 16 months. So being a bit extreme like I am, I was just like, well, no. If it's if I have to have a last time, it's not going to be this stupid, you know, supper. I'm going to have a real last time. So I went to the liquor store, bought the wines that I love, the liquor that I love, the dessert wine, everything. And I just literally sat in my room from noon to midnight, drank it all. And um, yeah, <laughs> that was it. Um, and then while I was drinking all of that, I thought it would be a really, really good idea to put a post on Facebook and tell people to stop bugging me and stop offering me alcohol. Because honestly, I don't know how many times I had to refuse alcohol in the first 16 months. No one was just leaving me alone. Mm -hmm. You know, it was always like, have one, have one. Why? It, it was such pressure. So I thought it would be a great idea. And I just started writing on Facebook. The first line was, my name is Carolyn. I'm an alcoholic. 
So, you know, put things in perspective. It's like publicly, my life was perfect. <laughs> no one knew anything. And now, boom, there's this post coming out. And then I was just like, if if you're going to offer me a drink, stay away from me. I don't want you in my life. And it was a pretty straightforward uh, post. And then when I woke up the next morning, after the few bottles I drank, I was just like, I opened my phone and I had like hundreds of messages. And I was like, what's that? And then I remembered. I was like, holy, it wasn't just a dream. I actually did post something. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't want to call it a mistake because it's probably the best thing that happened to me. Um, mm-hmm. And in the messages that I received, you know, the, the common link in all of it was, I'm here to support you. If you need anything, ask. And people would share their own stories. And how many people mm-hmm. told me like, you know, I always thought that your life was so perfect and that you were such a strong person and blah, blah, never thought you had an issue. So I also closed myself to receiving help. And by putting it out there, I finally, for once, could be myself with no mask and just be literally like, now I feel like I can be me whenever I'm somewhere. Oh, that's just such a, such a good story. Thank you for being willing to share all that. Um, let me ask you the same thing that I've asked everyone in this season of my little show. I It's the podcast for newly sober people who are learning to love ourselves instead of booze. And so I would love to know, Carolyn, like what um, is something that you have done or that you still do to show love to yourself? Uh, because, uh, you know, especially we're recording this on uh, New Year's Eve day and, um, you know, this is a big triggering day and this is a, a a time of year that is just very difficult and i'm curious to hear what are the things that you do to show love to yourself to get through you know just the day-to-day but also times of year that are more difficult for you yeah well there's there's a lot um when after that 16 months when i really started uh my for me it's my real sobriety so that's it's been nine years now in october i started self-development the first book I read was The Slight Edge. And it's not a book about sobriety. It's not a book about business. It's just a book about life philosophy of every single thing you do, no matter how little they are, they add up. So the compounding effect. And you know, now that I'm I can say, explain it in five minutes. And it sounds so simple. And everyone is like, of course, but we don't apply it in our life. Mm-hmm. And um, I took that book and I really started working with it. And I, I took the time to, for me, it was difficult to read. I, you know, I, I have ADD and I was just like sitting still with something that I had a hard time doing. So I told myself, I will read five minutes a night. And that was my initial goal. And literally I would put my timer and the seconds were not passing fast. But then I started enjoying it and I got used to the five minutes. And now it's like my, my discipline is 20 minutes a night. And first of all, it calms my mind. Uh, I don't end up the day with a screen. I end up the day with something usually positive because I don't read negative or drama. Um, but it just helps me be calmer. And I, I learn so much depending on what I read. I learned so much and uh, I can see myself in a lot of situations and 
you know, I read so many books about uh, from Brene Brown on shame. And um, she is an author that helped me quite a lot because I had so much shame in me, um, you know, from the abuse that was in my mind was all my fault. And mm. um, I had learned to hate myself. Like I had zero love for myself. And I think that at some point to destroy yourself physically and health wise like that, you need to have a grudge against yourself. So um, I would say self-development for me is what saved me. I didn't do AA. Um, and, you know, I know people who did it and it's amazing too, because you, um, you walk into a community who will accept you as you are and they will help you accept yourself as you are. I did it with books and with authors and, uh, you know, with a coach um, through my work, but it was really self-development. There's really good books out there. And the book that we just published together, uh, you know, that's an amazing book because it's 12 stories of um, how people felt. And reading these things, you realize I'm not crazy. Other people feel that. And, you know, or yeah. other people did that. I'm not that crazy. You know, you start feeling a bit more like, I don't want to say normal because there's no normal. You start feeling like you belong somewhere. You're not an alien. I grew up thinking I was an alien. I They just put me in human skin, you know, um, but I'm not. And what I go through, tons of people go through it. Um, but when you seclude yourself and when you isolate yourself and when you think it's only happening to you, it's difficult. So yeah. self-development for me is what did it. Self-love came and uh, it's not all there a hundred percent. I think that the little girl in me will always be there, but quite often I have to tell her like, uh, you know, when some stuff happened now I'm very conscious and the adult me will talk to her and say, it's okay. We're grown ups now. I got this. Um, but too long I've let her be in the driving seat. Mm. So it's, you know, there's not one thing that I did that helped me. It's really every single day reading a little bit of self-development and mm. every single day listening to positive things. You know, you're not going to find your happiness in in true crime shows. And, you know, I'm the real murderer. Yes, they're entertaining shows, but it's all things that poison our mind mm. because it's negative. Um, you know, I don't watch the news anymore. Some people may say like it's ignorant, but what I really need to know, someone is telling me, I promise you, I'm never that much behind. Yeah. News is entertainment. Yeah. So I just get the facts at the end. I don't get the whole thing that will scare me to my core and um, make me wonder why am I living in this kind of world? Um, so I chose to look at the positive things in me and to be grateful every single day. And I have to say that when I started 10 years ago, <clears throat> my gratitude, I have three kids and my discipline was to write three a day. So for the longest time, it's like, I I'm grateful to have my son. I'm grateful to have my daughter, I'm grateful to have my second daughter <laughs> because I didn't know what else to write. And then, you know, with time, little things started adding and then I trained my brain to look for what's good. So now I'm 
you know, I'll walk in the forest now and be like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for this weather. Mm -hmm. It's like my brain looks for what to be grateful for because really we have so much. Like if you woke up this morning, it's the first thing to be grateful for. And um, I'm not going to give lessons in that, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that to love yourself is that you have to seek tools that will help you love yourself because it's not going to happen alone. And there's no one that will love you enough for you to love yourself. You know, I had people in my life that adored me and their love never compensated the hate I had for me. So that's something mm. that needs to come from you. And it's not easy, is it? <laughs> it's really not easy. And there's, you know, there's forgiveness in that, that you need to forget the others. You, you need to forgive yourself. Yeah. Um of different things and especially when we've been addicted you know even if I think I was a good mother and my kids never suffered from it that much they did they did because if I would have never drank all those years we would have had more money I would have been more present I you know whatever it, there's so many different things that would have been I'm sure I said stupid things here and there um so these are these are the things that are the hardest i think as well is that we only remember the bad things we did with our addictions we don't remember the good person we are you know and forgiving that's another thing that is in self-development as well it's like learning to know who you are and uh honoring yourself oh, i don't i don't know what else to ask you because i feel like this was so good like <laughs> I just feel like I told my life story. This is here. perfect. No, this is perfect. Is there was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Because I'm literally out of question. Like I don't have well, anything I'm else. Gonna, that was so you good. You just talked about something that it's it's a podcast also for newly um, sober people. Um, so maybe I'm going to give you guys little tips uh, that for me helped me, and they were not as big as like self development or whatever. But one big thing for me was to write why I stopped drinking. Oh, and I'm not okay. talking about my first 16 months, because again, now I realize I wasn't really sober. I was just dry. When you okay. achieve sobriety emotionally, you're actually happy to be sober and you're appreciating it. My first 16 months, I felt like I was punished. Someone sat me in a corner and told me, watch everyone living. You just get to sit there and do nothing. Mm -hmm. I hated life. Life was boring. Nothing was fun. Uh, I was just going through emotions and doing what I had to do. And, um, you know, the second time I stopped drinking, I viewed it differently. Also because tons of people sent me messages and everyone had their little own way of saying something. But I started developing the why do I want to stay sober? And this is something you can work on every single day. This is something that is dynamic that may change. You know, your first day of not drinking could be like, I want to stay alive. Could be, um, I have to do it if I want to keep my kids. And then as you grow in your sobriety, your why can evolve. It can, it, it, you know, it may become just because I want to feel healthier or just because I, you know, I can jog longer when I'm not drinking or whatever. It can be so many different reasons, but Find your why and write it on a piece of paper and look at it or on your phone in your notes. Look at it often. 
like it's important. Uh, and you don't look at it because you forgot it. You look at it because our brain, every single time we look at it, it's like, okay, you're repeating something. You're creating new pathways in your brain. And you will start believing that more than the why you have to drink. And always have an exit strategy. So if you have to go to a party or if you have to go to an event or social whatever or family supper, for me it was family suppers were so hard because <laughs> it was always wine. Mm. Um, have an exit strategy and always prioritize your sobriety. So at first me, I would just, when I finally accepted it and I was open about it, I would tell the host wherever I was going, look, if ever I leave, and I don't say bye, don't take it personal. It's not about you. If I reach my limit for whatever reason, I'm going to take off. And I may come say bye, I may not say bye. But don't try to convince me to stay and don't take it personal. No. And you know what? People who love you will accept that. And of course, if you do that with your party friends who were your drinking buddies, they will tell you, no, come on, blah, blah, blah. They won't respect that because they still want you in their crew. So first of all, stop hanging with these crew, but also always have an exit strategy. And you have to put your sobriety as a priority um, because it is, it is. Even if you are a mother or a father, I used to say like my kids are my priority and everything else like is after my kids but you know what it's my sobriety that has to be first and me because if I'm not okay and that night of the overdose proved it I could have left my kids even if they were my priority I could have left them with no mother so your sobriety always has to be your priority and anyone who loves you will understand that and yeah, yeah. so exit plan and know your why um, every Wednesday, I do a live on Instagram. It's very casual. It's just, you know, we just talk about sobriety, different subjects every week, but it's at 11 a.m. EST on my page. Um, and you can come talk with me. And what is your, your Instagram is at simply me, Caroline, Caroline, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. All right. It's awesome. Oh, and the last thing I will say, sorry. <laughs> no, please. Flattering here, But the last thing I will say that is almost as important as find your why is find a community that will support you. And the community doesn't have to be 100 people. It can be that one person that understands what you're going through. And you can start with that one person who will introduce you to others. But I'm thinking about that now because Instagram for me has been amazing. Yeah. Because it normalizes sobriety. Well, the groups that are into sobriety. Yeah. yeah. It normalizes it, but there's a huge community now of sober people yeah. and it's, it's in and it's cool to be sober. So find, you know, talk to people who have been through it. Cause like for me, Dana, I know that if I would tell him whatever, he wouldn't judge me. Even if we don't know each other that much, yeah. I would be more inclined to confide something to him then confide something to someone I, I've known for 10 years just because I know he knows me. He knows how I feel to the core. Yeah. And he's not going to judge me. And that's how we are in the sober community. We don't judge each other. 
It really is true. It, and that's the feelings mutual. It, and I was saying earlier today on a meeting that I was a part of, I said, there are people on this meeting that I, <laughs> that I trust more than people that I've known my whole life. And it's, and I've never met them in person. It, it's just been such a, a, a mind blowing thing for me in the past year to find the, to discover this treasure of all these people who are all across the world. So tell me about like, where did the idea for the book come from? And, and, you know, I, just tell me all about the book because I'm fascinated to hear where it started and what, you know, how long it took you and all those kinds of things. Well, I did it pretty fast. So don't take it as a reference. It's just when I'm very extreme. So when I have, a, <laughs> when I have an idea, I make it happen. Um, actually, I started about two and a half years ago to do anthologies for, uh, I'm in network marketing. So someone had approached me to be in their book. And I didn't like, um, you know, all like everything that was the idea and everything. I was just like, oh, I would change this. I would change this. So my mind went like, well, I'm going to do my own. So I started doing mine in my industry. So it's called 20 Powerful Women in Network Marketing. But literally, um, after my third book, I was sitting there thinking, well, I was laying at night and it just came up to me like I need to do that on sobriety Mm. like I need to um, really have people who will talk about how they got to sobriety and how they're maintaining their sobriety and honestly I was going to have an all-women book and then um, I met this guy who's 25 and just fell in love with him he's so nice and and genuine and he has quite the story and he entered rehab I think the last time at 19 so he has been sober for six years and my son is 23 so I could see a lot of parallels not necessarily in what they were doing but in the age and everything and I could not believe that someone at 19 would be going in their third time of rehab. I was just like, that's just crazy. But on the flip side, I was just like, this is so amazing that he gets to understand all of that. And he he made his decisions at 19 versus me at 38, you know? Uh, So he he had to be in the book. So I decided it would be a book for men and women. And then, um, you know, the amount of authors in the book fluctuated at some point we were 20 then we were 18 then we were 24 then we were 16 and um I just went with it and we ended up being 12 which is super interesting because 12 is really not the number that I was going for but the universe really threw it like no it needs to be 12 and we're actually exactly six men and six women and again some drop at the last minute so it wasn't planned that way, but it it, it just happened um, exactly how it had to. How many? How long did it take me? About, I think I started it in September. No, August. Wow. And we published it in December. Wow. So, um, but I have to say that you know the work on my part was to find people. But the minute that I would have a meeting with them and uh, tell them about the book and you know, that I wanted, what was the mission with the book really promote sobriety, because I think it's not promoted enough out there. Um, Everyone was really in. So uh, people cooperated very well. Everyone sent me their chapter. 
almost on time. And uh, aside from the one, I think that some of the authors started writing and it was too much of a difficult experience to go through. So they didn't, they preferred like dropping out and saying, well, maybe I'll come in the next edition, which I kind of like anticipated that that would happen because it's a very cathartic experience for us as well, like the authors to relive something and you want to say enough of your story, but not too much because I had given the directive that I didn't want to focus on the drama of our situations, but more on the the, the after, not the party. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. And so I'm so grateful to have made your acquaintance and to be able to call you a friend, a sober sister, and uh, especially for the honor of being able to contribute to the book. Thank you again for giving me the opportunity to do that. We're bonded for life with that book now. That's right. I will link the book. I'll link um, anything else that you want me to. We'll put the link for your um, your Instagram in the show notes. And anywhere else, is there anywhere else where people could reach you, like your website or anything? Yeah, my website. It's simplycaroline.com. Simplycaroline.com. Okay, great. I want to thank you so much for joining us on this episode of I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye. Until next time, Al, Spruce, Caroline, and I bid you adieu and we send you our best sober vibes by saying goodbye alcohol and hello life much love to you all and peace